0: I want to talk to you this weekend about miracles. And those of you who know me, you understand that I don't consider myself a particularly religious person in the context of religion in our culture. I have a vibrant faith, but I've come to that I've come to that not necessarily easily. Faith and I've never lied to you, faith doesn't come easily for me. And the things that I believe, I believe with all my heart, but I've never been one to just believe because I've been indoctrinated. I want to see it lie on the table, the evidence. And so when I say to you, I want to bring to you a message about miracles, I think those of you who know me know that what you're about to hear is straight talk. I'm not going to talk in prosy or poetic language that is hyper-spiritual. I want to talk to you with straight talk about miracles. I was watching a message online, which I watch a lot. My wife laughs at me because I'm always watching sermons and church services. But I always tell her I speak five times and I want somebody to preach to me. I want somebody to speak truth into my life. And so I was listening to one of my favorite ministers and he was telling his audience about a miracle. The only thing is... As a pastor, having spoken thousands of times, when I listen to a as a minister, I can usually tell where he's going. I can see the mechanics of where he's headed, and, and so I'm not surprised when he gets to a particular conclusion. And so he was telling the story of a miracle, and just as he came around the bend and he talked about the fruition of the miracle happening, the audience did something that was predictable that I've seen happen many times and I've seen happen in my own ministry. When they heard about the miracle being done, they all burst into applause. We do that. I remember telling you a story. This happened almost three years ago. I was doing a series for all you old timers at New Spring. If you were here three years ago, I was doing a series called Red Letters on the statements of Jesus. And I, made, I preached a message about Jesus being the healer. What I remember was, I, I remember that particular message, at least to me, it felt kind of flat. I walked away from it and I thought, I'm not really sure I got that across. And then I said to myself, not really sure. I completely understand it myself. Well, I was walking off the campus, and Mary Alice was there with me, and she had just gotten a phone call. She said, I think you need to go. And she said, no, you're exhausted, but I think you need to go to the hospital. And she told me a family. I knew the family. And she said there was a little 10-year-old girl in the family who was in an automobile accident. She is not expected to live throughout the night. And so when I heard that, I said, yeah, I'm going. And, and I got to the hospital, and I discovered that she had been in a very serious car accident. Um, it was during the time of year when farmers burned fields and a cloud of smoke had crossed a roadway and uh, someone had just parked in a flatbed truck in the middle of the highway and a little girl's car had gone into the smoke and ran into the back of a truck and the back of the flatbed, the corner, had struck the little girl in the forehead. And at the risk of being not genteel, the highway patrolman said there was brain matter and blood in the car. And so, uh, you know, just brains don't re- brains don't... Just reappear, and so all of us understood clearly she wasn't going to live very long. And I remember praying with the family in the room there. In fact, I remember a medical specialist who was at the hospital who had said that the that the people who had received her in the hospital hoped that she would live long enough to be an organ donor. And we prayed around her bed, and I remember holding hands with the family, and I prayed a prayer like ministers pray. I prayed seriously and 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 I and I prayed meaningly, but meaning meaningfully, but at the Truth be told, it was kind of the, kind of the prayer that pastors pray. And, and, and I, pre- I preached this message three times already, and I'm racking my brain. I can still not remember why I went back into the room. Because after we all left, I went back into the room with a little girl, and it was just she and I in the room. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, I reached out and I grasped her wrist with my hand. And I prayed the following prayer. Jesus, if you are who I just said you were, you could do something here. Now, that prayer will never be printed on a greeting card, <laughs> but I mean, I just sprayed, I mean, honestly, I just, I, my heart was just, you know, poured out there at that moment thinking about the message I'd just preached, because I'd just preached the story about the little 12-year-old girl that Jesus raised back to life and the woman who had the hemorrhage of blood, and, and so I, I just ra- reached and grasped her wrist and said, Jesus, if you're who I said you were, you could do something here, and you New Springers will remember the rest of the story, how that I kept waiting to hear when she would pass, but she didn't pass, and she lived longer than they thought and, and then a few days later, the doctor was explaining to the family that she no longer had responses, and he pinched her arm and and she moved, and he said, "Oh, that was just an autonomic response and then he pinched her arm again to show them, and she said, "Ouch and you remember the rest of the story if you were here at the time, how that God just I mean, must have done some kind of miracle that is not in the medical books because a few days later, she was out of the hospital. And how many of you will remember the day that she bounded up here on stage with me? And, you know, it was a 4.0 student. How did that happen? I don't know. God did a miracle. And when I told you about it, we all applauded. We applauded every time. But now here's the thing. Even while I told that story, there's some of you or some out in the audience who were saying, but God didn't do that for me. God didn't do that for my family. God didn't do that for my daughter. And there are others out here who are, who are smart. And you would sit back and say, well, perhaps that happened, but that isn't the norm. Or that doesn't happen most of the time. And you would be right. See, the problem with miracles is that they do not happen in predictable patterns. They can't be studied under a microscope, they can't be viewed through a telescope, they can't be cultured in a petri dish. The problem with miracles is that you can't normalize them. See, by definition, a miracle is, is what, what, a, what a miracle is, is a contravention of norms. It is that the norms have been exceeded or the norms have been contradicted or contravened. Norms def, uh, miracles defy analysis which means we have no control over them. And if there's anything that human beings hate, we hate not having control. So in this sense of not being able to define miracles or determine miracles or predict miracles, in this sense of not being able to normalize miracles, there are a couple of primary responses to miracles. In the religious tradition, sometimes there is an attempt to normalize them anyway or at least to pretend that we can normalize them. And there's a spectrum of this attempt. On one bizarre end of the spectrum, I grew up in Fort Worth, which is kind of like the buckle of the Bible Belt. When I was a kid, I remember how that there used to be guys who would put up tents and claim to be miracle workers and healers. And as a kid, I can remember riding in the back seat of my parents' car and seeing these tents that would sort of populate the city of Fort Worth. And and very quickly, even as a child, I sort of saw through that, you know. I saw through the Santa Claus thing pretty early, too, because I thought if there's a Santa Claus at every store, you know, there was, it wasn't long before I thought, I'm not sure I believe that. And I had the same thing with these faith healers because I had gone to the hospitals with my mom and dad and I had gone into the children's ward and seen children lying there and I'm thinking, you know, buddy, if you've got the gift of healing, I got a great place for you to start. Why do you need to put up a tent? Just go to the hospital where sick people are and don't pass the bucket to receive gifts. Just go into the hospitals if you've got the gift of healing and just start healing people. So I knew that was bugs and of course we've all seen The shameful stories of the head gaff tricks and you know the planted people in the audience who show up in every city where the faith healer is and all the nauseating stuff that goes with that on the other end of the spectrum are believers who try to normalize miracles and and they're really pretty close to the truth because these are people who would say, well, you know, I don't believe in somebody putting up a tent and claiming to be a miracle worker. But I do believe that you pray in faith, that you ask God in faith to do a miracle. Well, that's absolutely true and absolutely viable. But the only thing is, is that when that person attempts to normalize miracles as if to say, if I pray in faith, God will give me what I ask for. The only problem is is that when we do that, we back ourselves into an untenable corner. And if you've been in a part of a a faith tradition like that, you know what the response is. When you pray for a miracle and you don't get it, they say, well, you must not have had enough faith. Well, the whole problem is, is that religious people have tried to do what can't be done. They have tried to normalize or systematize miracles, and you just can't do that because miracles don't happen in a predictable pattern. The other response is not the religious response. It is the skeptical response. And perhaps there are some here today who would find yourself in this particular situation. You hear about miracles, but you say, "Well, I just since they can't be normalized, since they can't be codified, since they can't be studied under a microscope, you know, since they can't be since they can't be scientifically reproduced in a predictable pattern, they must not be real." And of course, I, I, like I said last week, I'm always amazed at how intellectual that sounds and how. Dumb it really is. Because, I mean, after all, can you really reach that conclusion? If something can't be reproduced, if something can't be codified, if something can't be studied and patterns can't be analyzed, then it does not exist. But I've got friends who are in that school, and, and interestingly enough, I have met ministers who came from liberal seminaries who don't believe in miracles they say, well, perhaps it was a coincidence. It was just something coincidental. It was one of those rare happenstances where situations and circumstances just aligned in a a particular and unusual fashion. Or, <laughs> I've got friends who are sympathetic with me for believing in the supernatural. And they will say, Mark, to be honest with you, it was just the power of suggestion in regard to that little girl. You just saw what you wanted to see, and you just believed what you wanted to believe. Except, I didn't believe it was going to happen when I prayed, but we'll set that aside. And then there are those who have natural explanations for the miracles. There is nothing pathetically sillier than someone trying to give a natural explanation to a miracle. Some of the the greatest laughs I've ever gotten was listening to people who really didn't believe in miracles try to give a natural scientific explanation for miracles. Let me give you a couple of examples. You guys know, of course, the story in the Bible about the opening of the Red Sea and the Israelites who cross across the Red Sea and And they say, well, God didn't really open up the Red Sea. That's not scientifically possible. What happened was they found a very shallow area, a little wadi that was ankle-deep, and they walked across in ankle-deep water. Well, that really is a miracle now because we have to explain how Pharaoh and his entire army got drowned in ankle-deep water. (laughs) But if you want to really hear a funny one, how about the feeding of the 5,000? You know, the story are actually 20,000 people It's 5,000 men. Story of the feeding of the 20,000. You know, we read in the Bible how that Jesus took a little boy's sack lunch, five loaves, two fish, and fed 20,000 people. And they say, Oh, that's not possible. It's not, you know, it's not physically possible to have enough food from a sack lunch to feed 20,000 people. So here's the explanation Really, everybody had their own lunch that day. (laughs) Honestly, you're laughing, but that's true. This is taught in a lot of seminaries. This is why a lot of guys who stand where I stand, aren't worth 10 cents It's because they've been taught, well, really, you know, there's no such thing as a supernatural miracle. All these people brought their own lunches, and when they saw the little boy give up his sack lunch, they were smitten with guilt because they had been hoarding their food, and they brought theirs out, and there was enough food to feed 20,000 people. But it doesn't explain the miracle of how everybody was on the same menu that day. And explain to me on a hot day how all that fish and bread doesn't smell enough for people to know there's a whole lot of food in that place. See what I'm saying? There's nothing pathetically sillier than someone who tries to come up with a naturalistic explanation for all the miracles. But I've got friends who do. And like Ben Stein said, you know, he said they have the ABG defense, the anything but God defense. And the idea is, well, it's unexplainable. But when we do get an explanation, the explanation will be natural. But guys, here is where the religious person and the skeptic come together who both try to deal with miracles from a normalizing perspective. At the end of the day, both are going to wind up in unbelief. Do you, do you know the most rock-ribbed atheist I've ever met? They weren't people who never had faith. They were people who once had faith that God would do something for them if they asked him to do it. And when he didn't do it, they decided that they would discard the whole thing and no longer believe in God. The most virulent atheists I've ever met were people who once had faith, but their faith was misplaced in something God never promised. So let's deal with that for a moment. How are we going to deal with it if we can't normalize miracles? If miracles exist, but we can't normalize them. I mean, Let's draw a subtotal in the middle part of this message to see where we are today. Well, when I had have a Bible in my hand, I'm confronted with a book that claims to be a book of miracles. You cannot have the Bible, you cannot read the Bible, without seeing all kinds of miracles. From the first chapter of Genesis to the 22nd chapter of Revelation, there's the creation, the Red Sea, water from the rock, three men walking in a fire furnace and not being harmed, and a fourth coming to join them. The lion's mouths being closed, Jesus feeding the 5,000 over and over and over again. No doubt about it, the Bible claims miracles. And even though I can tend to be on the skeptical side, I've got to be honest that I've seen many miracles. You can take that from someone who doesn't tend to be hyper religious. I've seen so many. I could keep you here the rest of the day telling you things that I've seen in which God contravened norms in a way that there's no natural explanation. But number three, I know that miracles are not normal, nor are they usual. And number four, I know that God does not do them on on demand. I wonder if any of us, like myself, have wrestled with that tension. That the Bible claims miracles, I've seen miracles, but they're rare and unusual, and God doesn't do them on demand. What do we do when we deal with tension like that? Six months ago, my dad was dying. And I was thinking about miracles one day. I remember exactly where I was. I was working out on an elliptical where I had an hour just to think about miracles. And as I began to think and ask questions about it, it was, it was like the light just came on for me. And for the first time in my life, I understood miracles. So that you will be able to go on the same journey with me, let's go for just a moment To the greatest miracle that has ever happened, it is the most important miracle in your Bible. In fact, it is the miracle that even people who believe in miracles tend to kind of raise their eyebrows at. But it is the miracle that is so important that if it isn't true, I'm going to tell you, you should just check your Bible in the trash can and we should sell the real estate. It is the miracle of the virgin birth. That is the most important miracle in your Bible. If it isn't true... This is all a bunch of junk. You know why? We need a savior. And he's got to be a special savior. He has got to be God and human at the same time. If he had a human father, then he's born under the same curse you and I are under, and he can't even save himself. So you understand, the virgin birth is not God showing out. It is God doing something that had to be done. We had to have a savior who was God and human at the same time. As... God, he's not defiled, but as human, he could be our champion. He could walk in our shoes. And Mary, of course, was just as puzzled by this as anybody else. You know, I mean, if people ask me about the virgin. Birth. Well, how is that possible? Well, interestingly, Mary asked the same question. She asked in Luke 1, how will this be? And Mary didn't know as much about biology and genetics as you and I understand, but Mary knew enough to know that it takes a human father and a human mother, and, of course, we know it takes the male. You know, take the 23 male chromosomes and the 23 female chromosomes that come together and form a zygote and you have the human being. But you see, the Bible had said it was going to happen this way. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which we know from Matthew means God with us. So from the very beginning, you know, the Bible said it has to be this way. In fact, the very first prophecy is the virgin birth. It is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> but Mary wasn't worried about theology at the moment. She was just worried about situation. She's engaged. Now she's found out she's going to be pregnant, and she's a virgin, and she doesn't understand. And the angel's explanation is what helps us grasp miracles. I mean, first of all, there's a sort of specific explanation. Luke one thirty five. the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. But here's the answer right here. For nothing is impossible possible look at this prepositional phrase with god with god here it is the angel was saying mary in your world this kind of power is not normal see that's the problem we can't normalize miracles they contravene norms the angel was saying to mary in your world in your neighborhood this is not normal But in the world I come from, this kind of power is totally normal. When we say miracles aren't normal, that isn't strictly true. It's just that they're not normal where we live. I would say miracles are normal in God's world, but even that wouldn't be really correct. This is what is worth driving as far as you had to drive on the ice to get here for When God just turned on this light for me, for the first time in my 57 years, I understood miracles. A miracle happens when the normalcy of heaven collides with the normalcy of earth. That is what a miracle is. When the normalcy of heaven collides and intersects the normalcy of earth. The angel was saying to Mary, look, this is totally abnormal in your world, but it's totally normal in the world where I come from. See, the problem with miracles is that we get, all, we get all messed up with the abnormality of it. Well, of course. That's the whole point. It's abnormal in our world, but it's normal in God's world. I mean, we're even familiar with this idea of cultures colliding and normalcies colliding. We're even familiar with this concept on a human level. For example, I love this when I moved to Kansas almost 29 years ago. I Wichita's smallest place I ever lived. I, I was from Dallas-Fort Worth area. My first church was in Houston, and I came to Wichita. And, and uh, what I loved about the city is that, like, you know, where I'm from, it's just like you can't get out of the city. One city becomes another city, which becomes another city. And, and so here, you know, you get out of Wichita, you're in the country. I love that. And I'd visit these country towns, and, and the thing that always I loved about this is that you, you would see farm equipment driving right through the middle of town on Main Street. We don't think anything about that here, do we? I mean, that's just Kansas. But it would be unusual in Times Square. <laughs> right? But you know what? If we saw a custom cutter in a parade going right down through Times Square, we would, we would get it. We would understand that cultures have collided. And what is perfectly normal to us is now in a culture that it's not normal with. But we, we get that. I mean, my son Stephen and I went to Scotland, and folks... This is true. The men wear skirts there. But manly men, that's what's really... I mean, I remember there was a... It wasn't a World Cup, but it was a similar kind of day. And Scotland beat France. And we were driving through the streets of Glasgow. And guys were like sing I mean, singing all over town. You know, guys could have been in bars. And big, burly guys in skirts. Men don't wear skirts in Kansas. But I've seen a man in a skirt in Kansas. (laughs) Several times I've preached funerals, and there'd be someone who would want a bagpiper. There's a gentleman who does that, and he's a fine man. And right over here at Lakeview, right in the middle of Kansas, just a mile or so from the church, I've seen a man in a skirt, but I didn't think anything about it because I understood the cultures have collided. That's all a miracle is. That's all it is. See, when we focus on the abnormality of it, we're just just focused on the wrong thing. Let let me throw you a curve. Have you ever considered what's normal in heaven? Let, Let me just read a little scripture to you. Let me read from Revelation 21, verse 2. John writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared As a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be be with them and be their God. Now listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order, the old normalcy of things is passed away. Now let's go to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. And his servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Now, let me ask you a question What is a miracle? A miracle is when the cultures collide. Normalcy of earth collides with the normalcy of heaven. You understand that for somebody to be sad in heaven would be a miracle. For somebody to cry in heaven would be a miracle. For somebody to suffer in heaven would be a miracle. For someone to feel pain in heaven would be a miracle. For someone to die in heaven would be a miracle. For someone to go to hell from heaven would be a miracle, because the culture of earth would collide with the culture of heaven. But since God is not interested in introducing a flawed, painful earth to his perfect heaven, such a miracle is never going to happen. But ever once in a while, God wants to introduce his perfect heaven to a flawed, broken earth. And when that happens, you have a miracle. You have the normalcy of heaven meeting the normalcy of earth. And that's all there is to it. <laughs> we get all freaked about that. How can a woman have a baby without a human father? See, we're we're looking at that through the prism of the normalcy of earth. I love how God reports it. God just reports it as a matter of fact. This is how God reports the virgin birth. These are the facts concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Game, set, match. I draw four conclusions, four personal conclusions about miracles. From a guy that doesn't consider himself particularly religious and a guy for whom faith is a struggle, I have four conclusions about miracles today. Here's the first one. This isn't going to be heaven. It is earth. It is flawed. It is broken. It is painful. Even if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, even if I honor him as my king, and even if I try to please him in every way, are you listening? Earth is still going to have its normalcy. The fact that you are a daughter of God or a son of God does not mean that it's no longer going to be a broken earth for you. It'll still be a broken earth. It will still have its normalcy. I prayed for my dad, but the years just took their toll, and dementia did its awful work. I have seen God do many miracles for my dad, but at the end of his life, are you listening to this? This is my favorite line from the message. At the end of his life, the normalcy of earth took from him what was only temporary anyway. And the normalcy of earth will do the same for you. Even if you love God very much, there's still going to be sickness. If you love God very much, there's still going to be pain. If you love God very much, there will still be the normalcy of earth, and people will still do unjust, cruel, and unkind things to you. But this world is not our home. We are headed for a place that's got a new normalcy and a different normalcy. So I just want to say to you, Number one, this is still going to be a broken world. It will still have its normalcy. But now, hang on now because this could give you a whiplash. Number two, it does not stop me from asking for miracles. Because I know every once in a while, God kisses this world with the normalcy of heaven. And I want to be standing first in line just in case he decides to do it today. I still believe in asking for miracles. One thing Mary has taught me over and over in our marriage is, Mark, it doesn't hurt to ask. In fact, I've been instructed to ask for miracles because in the Lord's prayer, the Lord taught us to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is just asking for miracles, and we're to do that every day. So even though this is a flaw, broken earth, and eventually this earth will take from us what was temporary anyway, I'm still going to ask God for miracles today. I've just seen too many not to ask. And number three. I am okay with that dichotomy. I am all right with that. I'm all right with the fact that I'm asking God for a miracle, and he may say yes, and he may say no. I understand where I live. I understand my neighborhood. I live in the neighborhood called earth, and it's got its normalcy. And I realize that God has taken me someday to a place where I will never experience the painful normalcies of earth. But I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. That's just the relationship. That's just where I am right now. And I'm all right with that dichotomy. And I will not lose my faith if God doesn't heal me. I will not lose my faith if God does not bless me in a way that I want to be blessed. I will not even lose my faith if America doesn't make it. I am okay with that dichotomy. And number four, there is one miracle that God promises to anyone, any time. Now, this is interesting because no other miracle does God promise to anyone, anytime. But there is one miracle in this world that anybody here can have instantly today. And that is the miracle of what Jesus called the new birth. It is the miracle of becoming part of God's family. It's the miracle of being forgiven. It is the miracle of being restored to a relationship with God. Call it whatever you want to call it, new birth, saved, regeneration, Justification, call it whatever you want to call it. It's just simply flawed, broken people who deserve hell get heaven as a gift. And that's promised to us in the Word. The Bible says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. See, we're not talking about getting to be better. We're not talking about self-help here. We're not talking about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. We're not even talking about turning over a new leaf and a new chapter in life. The Bible says here, a new person. That's a miracle. I need to be a new person, don't you? I want to be a new person. That's a miracle. And the Bible says anyone who puts confidence in Christ has become a new person. A longer version of it is in Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you will be better. You will be rescued. That's a miracle. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone, anyone, that's you, that's me. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And you hear me say this nearly every week. Romans ten thirteen. for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why is it that way? Why is it that no other miracle is promised to us and this one is? Makes all the sense in the world. Remember? A miracle is when the normalcy of heaven collides with the normalcy of earth. And salvation is the doorway to heaven. And God wants everybody in heaven. So he leaves that right there. I mean, this is the connection point. This is where earth connects with heaven. And so consequently, since it's the normalcy of heaven, the door is open to you at any moment to ask God for forgiveness, to ask God for restoration, to ask God to forgive you of your sins. This is, that door stands open to you at any moment because you have an opportunity to take one foot from the normalcy of this earth and put it in the normalcy of heaven. See, the greatest miracle of all is available to you right now at this moment. For some of you, you've understood that for the first time. For others of you, you've been coming to that conclusion. It's been, like a, it's been like the gestation period of a pregnancy. It's like God has been bringing you to that understanding. For others of you, you just may want to make, be sure that you're settled there. But I want to pray a prayer with you that calls out to God. And if you want to join me, you can ask for that miracle. You say, well, Mark... I don't know if I'll feel anything. Well, you're not going to do it. It's going to be done to you. See, you get to heaven not based on what you do. You you get to heaven based on what Jesus did. That's what Christmas is about. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray these words slowly because you need to decide whether you want to say them to God or not. And I don't want to jam you. I just want to give you an opportunity to pray with me. So I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to say it to God. And if you do, there's a living God on the other end in a place where good things are normal. You ready? Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm very flawed. And I can't be perfect. But I can believe. And I believe you love me. I believe Jesus came into our world. I believe he lived a perfect life. And then I believe he died on a cross. I believe the blood that flowed out of his veins is a currency that pays for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to make me God's child. I receive that miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you just received the greatest miracle of all. Now, guys, I know you could have questions, and I've got a packet for you. If you just prayed that prayer, please come get this. It's got a DVD and a book that I wrote and a coupon for a new Bible. We're not as crowded as we normally are because of the ice. So if you just accepted Christ, if you just prayed the prayer, would you go right back to guest services, a big one in the lobby, a little one back by the coffee shop. All you need to do is take your talk to his card and say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give you this. Thank you for being here for today's message on miracles. Next week we'll talk about Joseph. See you soon.